Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, NBC. It's good to see everybody uh, this morning. Uh, wherever you may be from, we're starting a new series today. I am very, very excited uh, about this. We're going to start in Genesis 34, and we're going to be camping out between there and chapter 50 for the, next, for the summer, really. Uh, so that should be a well-worn part of your Bibles uh, or a well-thumbprinted part of your phone, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, let me ask you, how'd you sleep last night? I heard one grade, everybody else kind of furrowing their faces a bit. Um, okay, well, let's talk about dreaming, since this series is called The Dreamer. There are common dreams that people have, and uh, there are five that psychologists and everybody else say are the most common. So uh, I want to know who I'm dealing with here today. So raise your hand if you've had these dreams before. Number five, dying. How many of you have dreamed that you died? Oh, man, you must be depressed. No wonder you're in church. Number four. Test-taking, uh, test-taking dreams where you show up, maybe you're not prepared for the, okay, all our analytical people are on that side, one on that side, they don't like the middle, whatever it is. Uh, showing up naked as something. Uh, how many of you have done that? Okay, um, there you go. Okay, it's, it's, it's interesting, the geography of the room on this. That was all the front row people uh, there. And then number two, this is one I've had a lot, your teeth falling out. That's the second most common. I've had that. That's an awful dream. Some people would call that your 70s. But uh, you also can dream that way. And then number one, the most common is falling, taking a big fall. I've had that one too, all right? Okay, well, you have those kind of dreams, all right? Then you've got the dreams that you don't want to wake up from. You're like having the time of your life in your dream. Something great is happening. You know, you're, you're just sitting there and, and your whole existence is pure bliss. And then just then, a baby screams, wakes up. Just then, the smoke detector battery goes beep or whatever and lets you know that your joy has come to an end. Your bladder says, arise, my love, and, uh, and take care of business. Whatever the case may be, that is a horrible feeling because you're like, I don't want to wake up from this dream. It's great. Have you ever done the deal where you, like say you got to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and you try to keep your eyes closed and in the same zone, while you go to the bathroom, it's like, I'm going to stay right there, and then I'm going to go back, and I'm going to pick up right where I left off, right? Um, yeah, and then you've got these other kind of dreams. So when I use the phrase dreamer, I'm talking about this kind I'm about to tell you about. These are what you might call callings, vision. They are prophetic. Those are rare and, and typically given to to the types of people you see in the Bible. Uh, they're not common, but there are dreams which are a little bit different. It's uh, a nudge from God. It's something that gives you the sense, this is what I'm supposed to do. A lot of times those dreams are really just a forward sense of what God's already asked you to do in the Bible. And so you're projecting where this is going to go if you continue to follow but those dreams, when God gives you a calling, a claim on your life, uh, and he does that for everybody when they're baptized, you're saying, I want the old self gone and the new self to be here. And that should create what the dream type people would call a false awakening. A false awakening is when you dream that you woke up, but you didn't, dream, but you didn't actually wake up. So you have a second waking up. And so if you got confused there like I did, here's what happens. You, you, you like sit there, you get up, you brush your teeth, 
you go to the coffee pot or whatever, you do your normal morning routine, and then all of a sudden you wake up again and you're in bed. You're like, what just happened? Well, you dreamed that you were awake, but you weren't really awake. At that moment right there where you come out of the water is a moment in which you thought you were living, but you weren't really living. Now, now you're really living, right? You got a mission, you got a goal, you got an aim. You've got something that God has put you on, a course that God has put you on. And so the task then is for you to remain steadfast, dogged in your determination to live out the gospel on a daily basis as God defines it uh, for you at that given point in time. The story of Joseph, what makes Joseph one of the Bible's truly great heroes is not just that he has very little dirt under his fingernails. He's a, he's a relatively guileless Bible hero. You have some like David, uh, even Moses, who have, who have some issues. They have a rap sheet, if you will. Joseph, Joshua, they're among those people that really are pretty stinking good guys. Uh, we'll see he's a little bit impetuous, maybe a little, little uh, teenager-like. Um, no offense down here. But uh, he, he is a, overall a righteous man who is held up throughout the Bible as somebody who is to be commended for his faith and somebody who uh, is, is an example of continuing to be faithful to God, even when it could appear to the outsider that God has not been faithful in return. Joseph's faith sees him through a wild, wild journey that has its ups, its downs, its side to sides, and it has a great deal to teach us because he grows up in a wildly dysfunctional home, wildly, marked by sin, tragedy. He suffers at the hands of those closest to him, and yet through it all, he lives a life of integrity. He leaves us an example of somebody who doesn't simply throw his hands up in the air and say, oh, there's nothing I can do. Oh, the die have been cast. Everybody else might be able to do that, but I can't do it because uh, my background is too bad. My story is too awful. Or I've already made so many mistakes, God wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. Joseph kind of stands outside of that as an example of somebody who was brought up in a wildly dysfunctional family, experiences tragedy after tragedy in his life, injustice after injustice in his life, and continues to be steadfast no matter what. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to walk through some background, the, the biography of Joseph until he's 17, all right? And then we're going to hit pause, and we're going to pull what we can out of that, that story, all right? So this is the part of the story before the story of Joseph is what we're going to do today, but it's important for understanding the stuff that follows, all right? So Joseph's dad is a fellow by the name of Jacob. Jacob is one of the great weasels of the Bible. Jacob cheats his own brother out of the birthright going, going back um, to when he was a boy. Now, now one of the things I find, it's, it could be coincidental, it could be symbolic, but one of the ways that he does it is that Jacob is not out working and hunting like his brother Esau is, who's dad's favorite. Jacob is mom's favorite. He hangs out in the kitchen, apparently makes a very mean lentil stew. Esau comes back hungry, and he uses that to begin the process of cheating Esau out of several different things, okay? So later on, when Joseph goes out to meet his brothers, it's worth noting that he has symbolically been asked to not go out and work like his brothers. He's hanging out in the house, just like Jacob did, all right? So after he cheats Esau out of the birthright, Jacob goes on from there. He goes to his uncle Laban's house. Laban, apparently being a weasel, runs in the family. Laban, his uncle, says, okay, um, you want my daughter's hand in marriage. Rachel, okay, you have to work for me seven years in order to win her hand in marriage. Guys, take notice, seven years. 
So he does it. He works his seven years, and when the big day comes, he probably lifts the veil and sees Leah, not Rachel. Who's this? Oh, this is my daughter. He says, yeah, but I was working for Rachel. He says, yeah, but our customs say that you have to, you're gonna need, you have to marry the, 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 the other daughter first. So, okay, can I trade or what's going to happen? He says, well, you're going to have to work another seven years if you want Rachel. And he does it. Fourteen years he works to get Rachel. All right? Now, Rachel, so he's got Leah, the sister, that's his wife, and he's got Rachel, the other sister, who's also his wife. Leah is a fertile myrtle. She stares at Jacob and gets pregnant. All right? Rachel is barren and cannot have children. And so the competition between the sisters is brutal. Rachel, you can feel her mourning in the text over her barrenness. She cries out to God. God answers her prayer. She gets pregnant, and a a baby boy is born. His name is Joseph, which means he adds, or he will add, or the increaser, okay? So after Joseph is born, you got Rachel, who's his favorite wife, and the Bible will say that Joseph is his favorite son, right? After Joseph is born, Jacob then now, they're still at Laban's house. This is 20 years after he got there. He says, hey, we'd like to go to the land that I was raised in, so we're going to pack up and go over to Canaan if that's all right. Um, he says, that's where I want to raise my, my, my kids, okay? And so eventually Laban turns them loose. There's a lot of friction there and some uh, back and forth between them, but eventually he cuts loose. Now, that journey from Laban's house to where they finally settle, lots of big things happen in there. He has to reconcile with Esau. He grapples with God. There's a bunch of other things that go on, but in between there are three waves of tragedy that strike the family when Joseph is just a little dude, probably the age of somebody over here in our children's ministry, okay? The first wave of tragedy happens when they arrive at a town called Shechem, uh, and that's where uh, Dinah, who is one of Leah's daughters with Jacob, is taken advantage of in a very inappropriate way. We're going to go ahead and read it, Genesis 34, 1 to 2. The text says, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she'd born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and laid with her and humiliated her. Now, something happens here that Jacob does that shapes that that really is typical of Jacob, and it shapes what everything that happens in this dysfunctional family. Here's what Jacob does. Nothing. He doesn't seem to do anything. Well, the brothers kind of go, well, if dad's not going to do anything, we'll take care of it. So they pull one of the great, vicious tricks in all of the Bible, chip off the old block probably, and they say, hey, Here's what we're going to do, because the man who had raped Dinah comes to them and says, hey, we want to, we, I want her to be my wife. Brothers say, I'll tell you what. You know what? Sure. Why not? The problem is we can't marry our, our sister off to an uncircumcised guy and, and among an uncircumcised people. So you need to be circumcised. And every man in the city needs to be circumcised. And so he goes, okay, fine. And so everybody's circumcised. And while they're down for the count, the brothers go through and murder everybody in the city. All right, so, and then Jacob, on the end of it, seems to be upset more with the PR situation that it's created. He doesn't, he still doesn't show much 
conviction about Dinah and what happened there. One of the things that happens when your character is not overwhelmingly good is you tend to make martyrs out of the perpetrators, ironically, and you, you forget who the victim is and who the perpetrator is, right? Now, the brothers, Scripture reflects a little bit darkly on what happens there, that, meaning they didn't handle it the right way, but the table is set by Jacob's passivity. That's important. Parents, we're going to talk about that later. He's passive about the incident, so that mess happens, so they have to get out of Dodge. They get up, and they take off, and then uh, the second tragedy happens right after something good. So you have the incident with Dinah. They pack up, they take off, and guess what? Rachel is pregnant again. Awesome. Problem is, she has difficulty in childbirth this time, and while they're on the move, she dies in childbirth. There's uh, what it says in the text, Genesis 35, 16 to 19. They journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, don't fear, you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called him Benoni, which means uh, son of my sorrow, probably. But his father, it's a heck of a name for a kid, so Jacob says, now ah, we're going to call him Benjamin instead. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So a wave of tragedy comes again. So you have the rape of Dinah. Now you've got the death of Rachel. So Joseph, still, you know, toddling along there, has already watched the, de- uh, the rape of his sister, the mass murder for vengeance of his brothers on the village. His mom is now dead, giving birth to his brother. All right? Wave three is a sin tragedy. This is Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, and he goes and takes advantage of her, lies with, in in an adulterous way, one of Jacob's concubines, the mother of two of his half-brothers. That's a big faux pas. While Jacob is mourning over Rachel, Reuben, the firstborn, is supposed to have his dad's back, does this awful thing. Now, again, what Jacob does here is nothing. It says there that Israel knows. Now, Israel, when it's in the Bible, there doesn't mean all Israel. It means his name's been changed at this point from Jacob to Israel. Okay? So if you see Israel on the slides today, that means Jacob. All right? Don't let it throw you. So he knows. He does nothing about it until he's about to breathe his last, and it's time for him to bequeath his own blessing on his firstborn. And Reuben's there, Dad, laid on me. And he says, you know what? That whole thing back there. With, uh, with Bilhah decades ago. That bothered me. So I'm going to pass over you and give it to your brother. So you look at this passivity, right? Again, he doesn't deal with it. He doesn't do what the Bible calls him to do as a parent. All right? So by the time that Joseph, the story of Joseph really opens, Joseph is 17, okay? He's experienced again the rape of his sister, the mass murder to avenge it by his brothers, the death of his mother giving birth to his brother, a sexually sinful relationship between his brother and the mother of his half-brothers. I mean, they are a traveling Maury Povich show. They are a circus of dysfunction. And yet, his story hasn't even really started yet. So let me suggest to you, those of you who grew grew up in jacked up backgrounds, Okay, as you watch this series develop, you watch the story of Joseph begin to take root, I want you to understand, if you come from a jacked up, whacked background, maybe you're even the source of that. 
Maybe you're a Jacob. You're a super passive parent. Maybe, maybe you've sinned against people in your family. Maybe you've, you've got a violent past, something like that, anything like that, okay? Your story isn't over. It's not over. Today is not the end. Today's today. The past doesn't have to define the future. All right? So we'll come back to that a little bit later. But the story then really gets going uh, in Genesis 37. Joseph is 17 years old and full of attitude. Genesis 37, 3 to 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. All right, almost every kid, if you grow up in a family with more than one kid, my family is that way. Preciado family is that way. You grew up in a family where you got more than one kid, you're not the only child. There will be a moment in time in which you think to yourself, they like that kid better. I thought that. My sister used to get more Christmas presents than me. And my parents still to this day go, no, that's not true. You just wanted more expensive stuff than she did. And all I'm like, yeah, whatever, whatever. You know, she was your favorite. We all know it. Let's move on, right? Okay, when the Bible says that that's your favorite, that's probably your favorite. He says he loved Joseph more because he was a son of his old age. I don't know if it was Jacob thought, hey, I still got it or whatever. He liked that fact that he was son of, and it was his favorite wife. And so he did love Joseph more. And the sign, the Bible says, is a multicolored coat. Now, let's talk about this coat for a second. Um, we often in VBS or whenever, if you grow up going to church, it's some guy in a bathrobe that's been spray painted with stripes. That's not what this is. This is, um, this is a long kind of garment that you would wear that's an alternative to a normal work tunic, okay? So um, picture, you know how like if, if you're out, you see Caltrans working, they're all wearing work garb, right? Orange to be bright. They got, you know... Uh, helmets on. They got different things that go with working on that job, okay? Uh, and, and so there was a common, if they're out working in the field like they would have been, they would have had something that essentially looks like a romper, okay? Uh, like a tank top over here for the most part, and then some pants and stuff like that. But So their arms were free, right? And they could go work on things. What's interesting about the name for the coat is that etymologically, on the, on the, on the, out of the Hebrew, it kind of means it extends down to the wrists and the ankles, Meaning, this is a long coat. So, a lot of scholars think that the big deal isn't that it's multicolored. That's what we say. The big deal is that it's long. It's a way of Jacob saying to Joseph, you don't need to work like your other brothers do. Jacob didn't work like his brother Esau did. And so, is there anything more annoying than feeling like you're the one that has to do the dishes all the time? They never do anything right? It's just something that small. How come I got to do that? How come I got to clean my room? And they don't, right? That stuff and the bickering that goes on in the average house, compare that to you've got a flock of 11 guys out there, or at least 10. Benjamin might have still been in the house, but you look at it and you go, okay, they're all, they got different moms and they have different perspectives of dad's affection. They've done different bad things. And now you got one kid who gets, and it's not a fashion thing. Okay? This is not all oh, they, they were, he got Lululemon and, and they got Target, all right? It's not what happened. This is about saying, you, my son, because I love you, you don't have to work like they do. 
Remember last week, prodigal son. The jealousy of the older brother. When Jeff Walling was talking about that, and he said, he said, yeah, the, the, the anger that happens when it's like, I've been here, I've been faithful. This kid went out and spent all the inheritance, made a mockery out of who you are in the house rules, and now he comes back and you throw him a party? You haven't done anything for me. Right? And the jealousy of those brothers continues to ferment. They hate him so much, the text says, that they could barely speak to him, and they can't do it without anger. Now, that's not made any better by the fact that our good man, Joseph, old Joey, he has a dreaming problem. Here's what it says, Genesis 37, 5 to 9. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Number two, and then, and then it says, then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers. And he said, behold, I've dreamed another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were all bowing down to me. Well, this helps brotherly love about as much as you would think. And... Uh, at this point, they are nauseated by him. They are angry at him. The tension's high. Great, now you even think that you're better than us. It's one thing for dad to favor you. It's another for you to show up and say, yeah, oh, I had a dream. God gave me a dream. And that dream is that you all are going to bow down to me someday. I mean, that gives him a very punchable face, does it not? I mean, if you're, if you're one of the other brothers. So one day, Jacob, our good man Jacob, uh, lacking in wisdom himself, says, you know what, Joseph? Your brothers are out working in the field. Why don't you go check in on them? See how they're doing. Now, I'm thinking to myself, why would he do that? You know they don't like him. You know that they hate him. You know that he's got the magic coat, and they're out in the Israelite desert, sweating it out, Joseph, at 17, who should be out there by age, is in the house. They didn't have air conditioning, but I've always pictured, okay, he's sitting there in like the, the air conditioning or the whatever, eating grapes. His brothers are out there. Hey, you know what? Hey, I'm a little worried. Brother's going to die in that heat out there. Why don't you go check on him, Joseph? So here comes Joseph. Hey, guys. Sure is hot out here today, isn't it? You know? <laughs> and all of a sudden... They have kind of had it. They see him coming. It says in Genesis 37, 18 to 22, it says, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that an animal devoured him. And we'll see what becomes of his dreams then. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let's not take his life. Shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in this wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So Reuben goes, don't kill him. And basically his plan is, once this all blows over, I'll get him out of the pit, send him back to dad. So they strip his coat. Noteworthy, that's the first thing they do. 
far as we know, they don't beat him up or anything. They take his coat off first, strip him of his privilege and blessing. Then they throw him in a pit with no water, and then they sit down and eat. Guys, from the pit over here, hey guys, you got any water? They just keep eating. He's over there in the pit doing his thing. And right then, Reuben has left the scene. Um, we, don't, we aren't exactly sure why that's the case, but Reuben has gone somewhere. While that happens, some Midianite slave traders come up. And the brothers go, you know what? He's got to be worth something. So his own brothers sell him to the Midianites who are on their way to Egypt. 20 shekels, common slave wages. By the way, this is 4,000 years ago. Slave trade was alive and well back then. They take Joseph's coat then, after they sell him. They cover it in goat's blood. And then they tell Jacob, your son is dead. A wild animal got him. Jacob is absolutely beside himself. He has to be thinking to himself, why did I send him out there? He's a domestic guy. He, can't, he runs screaming from spiders. Why would I send him out to the wilderness to be with his brothers? Now look, a wild animal got him, and he's overcome. He's overcome with grief. This guy, he's, he's watched his sons betray him. He's watched his, his wife die. He's seen all of this tragedy, and now his son, Joseph, his favorite son. Pause. We'll pick the story up there next week. But I want to take this beginning, because there's a lot to unpack here. we got four little lessons I'm going to pull out, okay? Uh, this one we're going to do quick. Passivity is an enemy, all right? It's a dream killer. It's an enemy. Jacob's passivity as a parent in the face of his children's sin is absolutely mind-boggling and staggering. What, what he does by just looking past all of this stuff reminds me a lot of Eli the priest. We talked about him back in the sermon that, where, we, where we did parenting, he has two knucklehead sons, Ahophni and Phineas. They desecrate the temple or the sanctuary all the time. And uh, he just does nothing about it. And God comes to him and says, why do you honor your sons above me? And he says, because you let them do stuff and you did not restrain them, I'm going to take the priesthood away from you. Here, Jacob sees time after time that his boys are going off the rails. And he doesn't do anything about it. Okay, and that sets the table for this disaster. All right? Song of Solomon 8.6 says, Jealousy is as, is cruel as the grave. And his passivity allows jealousy to ferment among his kids, which sets the table for disaster. Parents, you're not just responsible to keep your kids from doing bad things. You're responsible, because God put you in that role, to lead your family in such a way that it shapes the character of your kids, which includes their attitudes. And that includes jealousy. He lets it go, and it becomes catastrophic for his family. Number two, jealousy is a dream killer. Okay? Now, this has two prongs. You can either be the jealous one, and sometimes you're the one that people are jealous of. And both have their problems. There's an expression, they call it uh, in other parts of the world, tall tulip syndrome. The idea is that in a flower field, if one of the flowers grows up taller than the others, you've you got to whack it so that the flowers all stay the same height. Uh, that's kind of how we deal with people in our culture. 
Somebody's ahead of somebody else, bring them down to size. We get jealous of them. We think something must be wrong there. Let's get them back to where they're even with the pack. And that is really a, a, an under, the underbelly of that is usually jealousy, envy. Not always, but usually. Here Joseph's brothers try to short-circuit God's plan for his life simply because they're jealous. Do not let jealousy or cynicism kill a God-given dream. Do not let it kill the dream. Do not let it derail you. Do not let if you got to if your life is on path and you're walking in the way of, of the Lord and your family is not and their lives are a mess, you don't need to stop doing that to go ahead and fall back in with a dysfunctional pack. God is calling you out of that. That's the thing that they can't stand about Joseph. His life is different. He hasn't done it. He hasn't been a mass murderer before. He hasn't done a lot of the things that they've done and they resent that. I had a friend who not that long ago on Facebook, he put on, up, he goes, someone just told me my whole life has been a complete waste. I was like, okay. Sounds like a great friend you got there, you know? Um, but where there is uh, victory in the life of a person, there will ultimately be people who try to kill that victory off, who aren't walking in victory. They're walking in jealousy. They're walking in fear. They're walking in insecurity, but they're not walking in victory. And thus, they can't realize God's plan for their own life. There's a story in uh, Numbers 12. It's not as well known, uh, but Mer Miriam and Aaron, those are the brother and sisters of Moses. They're out there speaking against Moses. And basically, the root of the issue is Moses is getting all the headlines. Um, the people are following Moses. He's the one that gets to go up to the, to the big shiny mountain up there with the smoke. How come he gets to do that? Seems to be the, the mentality, of, you know. And so they, they go, uh, has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the text says, then the Lord heard it. So um, they're all three called to a powwow in the tent of meeting. And God says to Miriam and Aaron, no, you are not the same as Moses. Leave him alone. I have called you to do certain things, but not that. That's Moses's. And then he strikes Miriam with leprosy. And he says, I'll heal you when Moses prays for you. Now, what's the point of that little story? Because if God has called you to do something, he will give you the strength to persevere through people who would sabotage it. He will defend you. Now, you'll see this in the story of Joseph. His life path goes like this. Dad's favorite kid, to the pit, to the palace, to the prison, to the palace. Boom, 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 boom. So if you stop the story mid-reel, it may not read that way. But if you let it go, you might find that God will give you the strength to finish what he gave you to do. Jealousy, cynicism, and stuff like that, God will defend you. He will give you what you need in here and out there, maybe not in as dramatic of a way as Miriam and Aaron, but he will protect you to do what he's called you to do. When a person is called by God to do something, God actually takes jealousy quite personally when it's directed in their, in their direction. 
And I remember uh, being in a, in a private setting once with Rick Warren, and he said, do not criticize what God is blessing. Uh, and I, I've taken that to heart as long as I, I can. Anytime I'm tempted to kind of be critical of something that you can clearly see is prospering, I need to at least back up and go, okay, maybe God's hand is in that. And if it is, I don't want to, because what I'm doing then is I'm signing up to lose. Because ultimately, God is going to win. He's going to see that victory accomplished. And I don't want to be against God. Okay? He has no losses in his column. He is the undefeated one. So if I decide that I'm going to go counter to that, okay, now I'm talking to all of us jealous people now, then I got to be careful. I got to be real careful with that. Now, if people are jealous of you, all right, you'll find yourself in that camp too. You don't need to give in to their jealousy. You don't need to diminish your own life to reach the level of their jealousy. Be bold. If God's given you a path to walk in, walk in it and Look for the applause of heaven, not the applause of the people around you. Next, finish the story. It doesn't matter how, much, how your story started. It matters how God finishes the story. You ever know people that they always stop, they stop watching a movie before the whole thing's finished? You ask your friend, hey, did you see that? You know, did you see such and such? And they go, oh, you know, we started that, but, you know, it, it lost our attention. And, but th those kind of people do that with everything. Like every movie they watch, they've, they've got like 50 movies they've started. Their Netflix account has a series of half-finished red lines as they go through. Hey, did you ever see that TV show? Yeah, well, we watched an episode, but it didn't really do anything for us. Or, yeah, it was kind of depressing. I, you know, I, we, we just weren't into it. Or, you know what, I was started for 10 minutes and I fell asleep. I never really finished it. Okay. That propensity to say, it started, I don't like the way it started, so I'm going to hit off, carries forward into life, okay? I have a friend who once said to me, I was talking about the karate kid, and, and he goes, yeah, you know, I actually have never seen that all the way through. What? <laughs> How, what? What? Uh, <laughs> What the, you know, and, and then I go, what do you mean you haven't seen it all the way through? He's like, yeah, I turned it off in the middle because it was depressing. Depressing. The Karate Kid. Depressing? That's like the, the most uplifting story of all time, next to the resurrection. Right? It's like resurrection, karate kid. I, I, how can you say that story is depressing? Well, if you turn it off right after the skulls and bones, track him down on Halloween and beat him up against the fence, and you say, oh, this is depressing, I'm turning it off. Does that mean the karate kid was a depressing movie? No. It means you're a bad watcher. That's what it means. For a lot of people, the issue is not that God isn't faithful, it's that you insist on holding the remote control, and you are not a good watcher. God knows where the story's going. He knows where it started. He watched every one of your steps. He knows where it's heading. But people abandon the calling because it seems like, oh, he may not come through. What if he doesn't come through? Last, last week, I was out in the lobby. I was talking to a gentleman out there who was having a bad day. It was Father's Day. His dad was not the man he should have been. He admitted to me he was not the man he should have been. He'd made some grievous mistakes in his life. And he looks at me, and in that way that men do, telepathically, he said, with eyes that 
You can tell you're crying inside. It's not here, but it's inside. I can feel it. And he says, life really sucks, you know? And I looked at him and I said, I'm sorry that your life's going that way. Can we add this to it, though? Two words. For now. Sucks for now. Some of you need to add that phrase to the way you see your life. For now. Life may not always be the palace, but it's probably not going to be the prison either. And if your life feels awful for some reason, remember that you probably have more blessings than you think, and whatever you're going through is for now. There is an eternity out there for you, but even here on this earth, it's for now. Lastly, living God's dream and not your fears. Joseph remains faithful and convicted of God's calling on his life despite the naysayers, despite the ups and downs of his earthly life because he's convicted that God gave him a dream that he's to walk in. There are a lot of people, sisters and brothers, who, uh, and I've done it, I mean, I don't bet a thousand on this one for sure, but that when criticism fear, challenge, obstacles come their way, they tap out. They get fearful. They give in to the cynicism. And thus, they never finish what God started. I've always loved it. I'll, I'll do it in the old King James, the way I memorize this passage. Paul says, I know whom... I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Translation, I know where my faith lies, and he's going to finish what he started, and I don't doubt it for a second. So if that's the case, sister and brother, that means that's my job, to be bold, to walk in faith, not, not, not stubbornness, that's different. Determination, conviction, faith, okay? That's what you do. So Joseph, we're going to talk about it next week. First big challenge that comes his way, he works his way out of the prison cell because it turns out he's pretty good at interpreting dreams too. And he works his way out. Then one of the ruler's wife that he's working for makes a pass at him. He survives that. He doesn't give in to it, and he ends up back in prison again. What's up with that? You know, can you imagine him sitting there going, okay, look, this is what I did for you. And look where it got me, again. Pit, prison. I was right in the palace there. We'd finally, you and I had kind of made up, God. Now look at this. I do what you want me to do, and I end up back, back where I started, except this time I'm in prison, and I'm never getting out because I just was accused of doing something bad to a ruler's wife when in reality I did the right thing. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Very tempting for him to just go off the path. If God's given you a vision or a dream or a calling, and he has, if you are a Christian, the calling is to walk in the steps of his son. Then walk in it. Walk boldly in it. Two big challenges uh, that our church has faced. One was July 2011. July 2011, I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. 
I'm trying to round up support for this fledgling young church called New Vintage. We go there, I'm sitting across the table from a mentor of mine, and I'm seeking his sponsorship. He asked me to do some things that were off the path of what we were doing and what we, what we felt like God had called us to do. He says, well, do this. And I said, I can't do that. God's called us to do this, not that. And he says to me, well, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you guys are going to fail. Great friend, huh? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> he actually is a good friend. Bad day, though. Bad prediction, too. And I just go, oh, I'm sorry to hear you say that. Five years later, when NBC had, done, had survived and was doing quite well, I took the whole staff. We flew them to Indianapolis with their wives. I went to the same table. I sat them there. I told them what happened, what the exchange was. And we celebrated all the great things that God had done over those five years. It's like, like how Israel would build little altars when God did something great. They would, they would build it so they could remember, where they would walk past it and they'd go, oh, yeah, that reminds, remember that time when, you know, Jacob wrestled with God? Or man, remember when they finally, this is where the wall fell down. This is where when they blew the horn, down it came. And God did a great thing. This is where the Israelites walked out. This is when we eat this. Here's what it symbolizes, right? All of those things are little ways of acknowledging, look, what God has done. But I could have done this. I could have said, well, if that's the case, then, if you really think so, I mean, you are an expert. Okay, I'll do everything that you want to do. And if we had, I'm convinced this church would not be here. But because of the, the, the courage of the, the founding people that were part of the team and the church at the time who were willing to walk boldly in the calling they had were still alive by God's grace. Okay? Number two, this little place. Okay, I haven't talked about this very much openly, but, but, but I got letters from other church leaders, uh, media people, everything all saying that will never happen. And even if it could, you shouldn't do it because it's too weird, basically. But we felt, and the leadership of the church felt convicted that that was what we were supposed to do. So we continued to do it. I remember uh, uh, one, one guy... <laughs> Uh, wrote a pretty scathing piece, and it was basically, the, he, you could tell he hated Christians, he hated the church, he hated everything about it, what we were trying to do. He wrote it, and pejoratively at the end, he talks about how it'll never get finished, and then ends it with thoughts and prayers. <laughs> right? Just to be smug and, and, um, and I thought to myself, I go, well, on paper, he may not be wrong, <laughs> right? We could have, you know, the leadership team of the church could have gone, you know what? Oh, no. Okay, well, if he says so, then well, maybe we can't. Or allow discouragement to rule the day as opposed to faith, right? Our church, right, there was a lot from the day that we committed to doing this to this moment here today. There was a lot of ups and downs. I, would, I don't think suffering is too strong of a term, okay? You throw COVID into the mix, right? For, for, and, and so the chances to abandon it were everywhere. There were off-ramps everywhere, and nobody would have blinked at it, really. They would go, oh, man, I really wish they could have finished it, but I totally get it. I totally understand 
Props to them for even thinking of the idea. That'd be great, right? But the difference between the pit and the palace or Joseph at 17 and where God is going to take him, which is ultimately to help save Israel literally from starving to death. That's where this story goes. And Joseph's dreams will be fulfilled is Joseph's willingness to persevere through prison, palace, prison, palace, prison, palace, dysfunctional families, different countries, and to stay committed to what God has asked him to do. So what about you? Are you walking in the steps of the risen one? Or is it a hobby? Is it a hobby because your family makes fun of you when you leave to go to church on Sundays? Do you keep quiet about your faith because you're afraid of what your friends are going to say? Are you not sure because your life is down in a pit right now? Then let me encourage you to say, hey, karate kid, let God take the remote and let him hit play and just watch him do his magic. Watch him do what he does. You're going to watch Joseph, okay, an Israelite boy who is sold into slavery by his own kinfolk go all the way through and with no smugness, none, no pride, go on and fulfill and end up, that dream will be fulfilled. His brothers will come hat in hand, needing grain. They don't even know it's him, but he hands it out in plentiful supply. He reconciles with his family. And then, and then the way it ends is he goes, you know what? Hey, I'm about to die. Here's what I want you to do. God already promised he's going to lead us up out of here one day. So I want you to take my bones when I'm dead. Pick me up and I want you to bury him there in the promised land because I know that someday, someday he's going to do it. And that's what they do. And someday it came. Someday it came when a man named Moses came along, was risen up and out, out they went. And in the same way, the promise of God continues, right? When the whole world was in slavery, he raised up one named Jesus, the great deliverer. And he went and did everything that God wanted him to do. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And he went all the way to the cross, was raised from the grave, now sits at the right hand of God, and he's saying to you and to me, follow me. That's the call. That's the dream. Follow me. Follow me. We're going to take communion here, and let me encourage you to, if you haven't yet awakened from your, get, get one of them good old false awakenings going. Maybe you thought you're really living, and not just now you're realizing, maybe I haven't been living the way that I should. I dreamed that I was alive, but in reality, I wasn't. <laughs> then make today the day. Make today the day that, that you wake up and you realize, you know what? If I'm willing to trust God enough to give him my life, okay, then I need to go ahead and give him my life and watch him do the things that he's about to do. When we pick up next week, Joseph will be on his way to Egypt as a slave. And we'll see where it goes from there. I think I can, I can feel a visceral positive reaction to even anticipating where this story goes because I love this story so much. Um, we have some ushers that have the elements in their hands. If you didn't get them, bread and cup, let me encourage you to 
um, raise your hand and we'll get them to you. Right now, let me pray for us and we'll, uh, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Father, for being a God who demonstrated what it's like to walk according to your will on a daily basis, Father, we give you thanks for the ministry of Jesus and all that it means. And Father, just like they thought that they could dash your dream for this world on the rocks by crucifying him. They played right in to the hands of your story, Father. And so, Father, for the victory that Jesus won on the cross and at the empty tomb, we give you thanks. And with bread and cup, Father, we say yes to you. We say we want to follow what Jesus called us to do. Father, if their dreams are broken among some in this room, would you mend them? If people turned off the story in the middle before your grace had a chance to, to pour into their life, Father, I ask that you break into their hearts and lives right now. And that, Father, they would begin to, to dream again, that you would, you would pour forth vision into their lives about how you can use them in a mighty way in their homes, all around this city and around the world and in this church. Father, we love you. We bless your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.